Hi, on the call today is Cameron Asher. He's a recent graduate from the University of Kentucky. They, um, he majored in business management with the goal of someday going into healthcare entrepreneurship. Cameron has a passion for helping others through his own personal experience of overcoming traumatic brain injury. Cameron is a very driven individual and I'm honored to have him on the podcast today. Can you tell us a little bit more about your accident and, and the situation you were in? Well, Jessica, thanks for having me on here. Um, my accident occurred on February 25th, 2016 at Somerset Community College in Laurel County, Kentucky. My friend and I were leaving class that day and someone was texting and driving, ran a red light and then hit the car on the driver's side and the driver unfortunately passed away and um, resu and that resulted in my brain injury as well as it threw us together. Okay, and you mentioned it was a severe brain injury. And can you tell us a little bit more about um, uh, the first responders and how um, how you were eventually taken to the hospital? Yeah, so uh, on the scene, um, the air evac team was on their way and local paramedics would have worked on me. Um, I, I later met one of my first responders and you know he really talked about how he was kind of moved by our situation though he sees so many of them and how he prayed over me and um, then um, when Aryvac finally arrived um, I was flown to the University of Kentucky um, probably coded a few times in the um, helicopter um, because my injuries were so severe and then I finally arrived and I had an extremely experienced neurosurgeon that was able to work on me. Um, my, I know my surgeon um, said that I was um, pretty much a miracle to my parents is what he told them um, that it's really rare that you see someone with the um, like the extremity of injuries that I had survive and then you know when it came to like further recovery all they could tell my parents was you know we'll see what happens so they had hope that you would that you would get better but they weren't quite sure what the results would be at the end right okay and um well that's that's good news that you came through it so as well as you did um so do you remember what what where you were when you woke up so the first memories I have, I know that I was awake based on what my parents have told me, but I guess I've forgotten, you know, the first initial stages at UK Healthcare. Um, I kind of have one really bleak memory of, you know, feeling like, you know, I knew what happened and, you know, that everything was kind of happened for a reason, but that's like the only beginning memory I have at UK Healthcare. Um, the first memories that I have that are really, you know, like vivid and formed are like at Cardinal Hill. So I remember the rehabilitative process and, you know, really I felt every day that, you know, I was lucky to have a second chance at life. The person that I was with, unfortunately, didn't have that. And I thought it, I didn't allow myself to get down in those times. And I try to pull out strength that I didn't even know that I had, you know, in honor of the person that was lost and in honor of the fact that I had something that a lot of people have the opportunity to receive. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, doing something with that second chance, and it sounds like you're on that on the road to do that. So you've already made great strides. Um, can you t- tell me a little bit about um, what you you said? You um, can you tell me about your decision to start start school on time and and finish on time? I know you had just been admitted to the you got admitted to the University of Kentucky around that time of the accident. <laughs> Right. Um, I had re- I had gotten in, um, admitted to the University of Kentucky and received one scholarship. And then towards the end of the year at my high school, like, you know, the, our high school does this ceremony where everyone who gets scholarships gets them, you know, and their families come. I'd received another scholarship actually from UK. So that was really nice. Um, uh, yeah, so I had gotten all those scholarships and then... I was coming up to the University of Kentucky Healthcare. Um, at the time, I'd had staples in my head. Um, I guess it was like to make sure that everything heals back together like pretty well. Um, and then I came to get those staples removed um, around this time. And the now assistant vice president of philanthropy at the University of Kentucky, his name is Don Witt, and invited my family out to lunch at the Hillary Boone Center, which is just a really like nice place on campus that they host scholarship dinners and stuff usually. And he was like, really, he had been encouraging through the whole process, you know, before this. And this was, I mean, just, you know, this was not out of character for him to, you know, be this generous. So we were sitting down and he had had a lot of people with him who were from different, you know, backgrounds, just, you know, who had wrote me and was just getting to see, like, how well I had, how far I had come. Well, I just felt moved in the, in that moment. And I felt, honestly, a drive more than ever to be bigger than my situation and to help people. And, you know, I just saw the generosity and the selflessness I had received from UK. And I kind of thought, like, well, if I stay at home and dwell on this, what if I get complacent? What if, you know, my brain doesn't heal? You know, I would rather, like, risk pushing myself and, you know, you know, rather than getting complacent and giving up. So I, I looked at my family and everyone around me and said, I think I want to come to UK on time still, and I'm going to graduate on time still. And everyone was like, you know, you could hear a pin drop in the room when I did that. It was I mean, looking back, it was an extremely brave move, knowing what I know now about, you know, brain injury and learning and things like that. But I think it did make me better. Um, yeah, it sounds like it. And yeah. what what point of um, your recovery were you at when you met with, with him and made that decision? So um, I believe I had been... So this was after I got, I think this was after I got my second, you know, like this, my bone, like my bone slash Kevlar infused piece put back into my head. Cause you know, for a while I had lived with like just a little helmet on my head, like to protect this side of my head and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I was, so yeah, I think it was right after I got my second bone put in and then, you know, they had to. So it like keep it together for a while. So they used the staples, I think is what it was. And how long after the accident was this? Um, I think this probably would have been, let's see. 
two to three months or something like that. Okay, I could so get an exact day, but. Oh, no, that's okay. Just a, round, a roundabout figure was great. And so two to three months after that severe brain injury and um, you're starting to get better and you decide, you know, you met with Don and, you know, he inspired you. It sounds like your your family and all the recovery and the people that were involved in that recovery inspired you to to do something with that second chance and finish college on time is what I'm hearing. And um, so, yeah, so wonderful. And it sounds like you were you were very thankful to all the staff and you decided to um, to do something with that. So can can you tell me like how that went your your school and, you know, study skills and what helped you finish school on time? Yeah. So fortunately, you know, I, I talked about how Don was always an encouragement you know, I had so many people at the University of Kentucky cheering me on, like telling me I can do it from, you know, just the moment that I stepped on campus. You know, all these like much older than me, very successful individuals really pushed me to be the best version of myself. So I think it's important to begin by saying like, I didn't go into this journey alone and I didn't want to be alone. I wanted people's support. I wanted to be vulnerable with people. And a lot of people are scared of that, but I, I think it changed my life and you know the reason I needed to be vulnerable and have these people in my life is because of how strenuous my work ethic was I would work I would study some weeks a hundred hours a week or so depending on what I had to do um, towards the end of my college I've worked a job I was involved in two really really important organizations on campus called the student philanthropy board and the alumni ambassadors which is through the office of the president and then I've been writing on a book for a while, and I've been involved in various UK media, as you saw. So I've really pushed myself to the limit. But I've always had I always had people there, like chiming in, cheering me on, tell me they believe in me. Like even when things got hard, or I did bad on an exam, or you know I was beating myself up, like wishing I could do more than I possibly could at that moment because. You know, I knew deep inside I was going to have to push myself harder because I, I was set back a little bit in life. Um, but, you know, everyone kind of helped me see that that was OK. And that wasn't something that I could always see. So that allowed me to stay working so hard. You know, that allowed me to continue to push people. That allowed me to have that open heart to where I wanted to be selfless and reach out to people who I saw were even sad, like, if I saw someone like crying in, a, in like in, a, in like a classroom building, I'm the kind of the person that would stop and talk to it. Like that, all those you know behaviors were fostered from like my my li early life experiences, but they were really, uh, I guess, saved. I think by a lot of the staff at UK that were cheering me on. Okay, wonderful. And you mentioned, um, did you require any kind of accommodations? It sounds like you studied a whole lot. Um, to compensate for some of the things that happened with your severe brain injury. Um, so just those study skills and um, you mentioned um, other people. Did did you have to get any accommodations and how did you feel about that? Yeah, so adjusting my study skills, I, I read things again and again and again, like nonstop. Like I would probably read one section of a textbook like six times for an exam which was a lot to, you know, to a normal person, but like, you know, it really helps solidify information in my brain. Like 
long term I was doing pretty good with like recollection. So the more I continued to build on like short term things, the more the better it got for me in a sense. But in terms of testing accommodations and stuff, um, my freshman year, I didn't go for the attesting accommodations thing because and I actually knew about something called the Disability Resource Center. Um, I think a lot of schools have something pretty similar to this because I even took one class over the summer at a community college and was still able to receive, um, uh, you know, those kind of like benefits. Uh, but in UK, it's called the Disability Resource Center. Um, I eventually got extra time and I got my exams in two parts and I could rest in between the two parts. Uh, and I was in a quiet, low distraction environment. Uh, all of these things were very good for me, uh, especially like, given the nature of traumatic brain injury. A lot of people can become more easily distracted. You know, a lot of people can, you know, get kind of, we, we need more time to process our thoughts and, you know, really dig deep. We have to like, like, you know, you, you can imagine like zooming into my brain, you know, when, when I'm thinking through things, cause I have to think extremely hard sometimes, but you know, all those things made me a better test taker once I finally, like, dropped my pride and got enrolled with the DRC. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's a student to look into those resources through their college. Um, that's pertinent, I think, almost, with traumatic brain injury. A lot of people kind of don't want to do that. I mean, I, I understand, you know, you you want to your pride wants you to think that it makes you weak or something, but it, it doesn't. Um, if anything, it's the best decision you'll make and it'll probably change your education more than you'll realize. Now you mentioned, um, you, you had that goal of finishing school in four years. Can you tell me if you, how you accomplished or when you accomplished finishing that, um, that last class and, and graduating? Yeah. So I finished, um, this May, I mean, the beginning of the month. Um, I remember taking my last exam and like dancing around my apartment because it was finally, you know, I, I've now made it, you know, that's everything that I had accomplished. I said I would accomplish, not without, you know, setbacks or not without struggle, but, you know, I'm, 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 I made it this May and now I'm looking forward to, you know, life after graduation. And I know I'm still going to have to be careful with my decisions because, you know, like, I, I am disadvantaged as a byproduct of this, but. You know, I think, you know, I think that if I could do what I've done with my education, with my brain working against me, even, I think I can accomplish anything. So when did you decide you wanted to go into business and start a healthcare clinic to contribute to your community in a larger way? Can you tell me yeah. more about that? So that's, that's a long, so I, I had wanted for the longest time to be a physician. I started UK um, as biosystems engineering. Um, which I had never taken calculus before. Um, so the first time I took calculus that, you know, went out the window, but then I switched to neuroscience and I had to take calculus, you know, a second time with that. But I did good in the, the calculus the second time around. Cause I was like, okay, I, I kind of know what's going on now. I know how to study for this. Um, that, so that was my first big upset, you know, failing calculus my for the first time I took it, but I did great in it the second time around. Um, so then I was a neuroscience major. I was working up until that, but then I started seeing how more research driven it was. And I remember standing up in one of my seminar classes 
and my presentation was over like clinical outcomes, clinical business models of clinics such as like Mayo Clinic and things like that. And, you know, a lot of things that people, you know, that were more research driven were probably kind of bored by. So then, you know, I just kind of realized how different I was than I guess the rest of the STEM community. So then, you know, I had in the, I'd already finished pretty much most of my pre-med classes by this time, I think, besides biochem and um, physics two. Um, that's what I can think of off the top of my head. So, you know, I had already taken most of those and I was just like, you know, I really didn't feel like I fit in. Um, so then I switched to business management and I started learning about stuff that it was more interesting to me. And then I learned about the master's in healthcare administration. And that's what I've been currently working on my application for. Wonderful. Um, so that sounds wonderful. I know that uh, now, can you take us back to what made you so resilient? What do you feel like brought that great empathy that you have besides having the severe brain injury? Um, it sounds like maybe something in your past or your upbringing has something to do with it. Yeah. So I'd say my resiliency comes from my father. My father's father passed away when he was, I think my dad was 16 to 18, something along those lines. Um, my dad had to raise his two brothers and take care of his mom as well from a very young age. Um, the man literally worked hard his entire life, and he—he, he, you know—he was in college at the time. So I think he was actually 18, yeah. So he was in college at the time, and he had to quit. Um, so, you know, my dad always worked hard, and he never complained, and he wanted to give the best for his family, and like that's. I think that's what you know, where my resiliency came from. I saw that no matter how hard the world pushed against my dad, you know, he, there was something stronger inside of him that was always allowing him to push back. Um, so, you know, my dad's one of my great role models in my life. And then I would say my empathy came from my grandmother. And, you know, she was even resilient herself. Uh, my grandmother was a very loving person. She was always like who I listened to, like who I talked to about my issues. Um, I stayed with her a lot when I was little after my parents had, you know, um, split up. And then I was living with my dad. My dad worked all the time. So I would go see my grandmother and just talk to her about like, you know, just life in general. And she always listened to me. And then um, one of my cousin's dads was in school, respiratory therapy school at the time. So she stayed with her a lot as well so you know it was just us with our grandma talking to her and I mean she, she knew everything that I ever went through but she was always right there for me you know like through everything even when like my parents were going through the process of splitting up when I would see my grandmother she would be all ears so I think that made me have a bigger heart for people was just seeing how selfless she was and a lot of her you know things in life and and I remember at one point um my grandmother was so intent on taking care of people. She was doing her mom's laundry, um, like while she had cancer. Like her, like she had cancer. Her mom didn't, but she still was doing laundry while she, you know, was suffering through all of that. Like she was one of the hardest working people. And I remember, like, I remember hearing about that, and I was just like, wow. So just that you know, care I, for other people and. And yeah. wanting to give something back to, to family. 
Yeah. Because she could. I think I adapted that beyond family even. You know, I see so many people in the world struggling now that, you know, I've paid attention to it. And, you know, I even know what I've went through. And I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I felt in, in the time that I felt, you know, how I felt. So now that I've learned what I've learned, I want to use my experiences to help other people adapt theirs so they can probably better heal. Yeah. And you mentioned, so what does that look like to you? You mentioned giving back and um, maybe helping people that have, that have went through something similar to you. Um, how, how do you plan on using the education that you received and, um, and giving back? And what does that look like? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, I want to continue to use my voice. UK really empowered me to use my voice um, and my story for good. Um, I've really worked on my speaking a lot. I've really worked on my book a lot. Um, it's coming along. Uh, it's it's a really hard to actually sit down and write a book yourself without anyone like assisting you, you know. But I think it's I'm doing well with it. Uh, I want to someday finish that and publish it. I think I'll self-publish through Amazon maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, but then you know, going beyond that, you know, my degrees are preparing me to be a more phenomenal leader in the healthcare industry. Um, my undergraduate degree really taught me about like ways to empower people, you know, theories of management, things like that, all things that are very like, you can see like a proven track record of success, uh, in those kind of theories. And then my graduate degree is going to teach me everything and beyond in, in the scope of healthcare. So like biostatistics, things like that. And I look forward to like those kinds of light lessons. And then I've also got things that I've researched on my own that have really like increased my vision. There's a clinic in Lexington called Surgery on Sunday. I want to make sure to promote this. Um, I, I, my understanding is they do low to reduced cost, like almost like zero to reduced cost surgeries for those with a proven financial need. Um, I would someday love to start my own hospital, as I've said. And I would love for an entire, I guess, area of the hospital to be dedicated to that nonprofit mission. I would, you know, like, there's a lot of ways, you know, you could incentivize, like, doctors to come in and do a free surgery. Um, I think that that is probably, like, the future of healthcare equity. Um, I don't think, I think that, I mean, that's, like, their best way to meet the needs of Kentucky, too. Where I'm from, the average income is like $20,000 a year. Or, you know, it's just extremely low. It's like probably barely above the poverty line, maybe. And what county did you come from? I'm from Clay County, Kentucky. So that's Manchester. So, you know, all of those things combined, you know, have really given me a vision to not only have state-of-the-art healthcare like I've seen UK has, but, you know, even like ways to meet those in need. Yeah, and maybe bring some of those services back to where you um, where you grew up, and and seeing that right. need there, exactly. uh, and the need for more um, nonprofit um, groups that are helping serve that community. Exactly. Wonderful, and we really look forward to um, hearing more about your book. And once you have that published, I'll help you get it out. We'll maybe do another podcast again um, with you. Um, right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and um, and thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Wonderful.
Sorry, let me hit end recording. Okay. <laughs> I'll end this last part out. I really worked last night too. I 